Hi, thank you so much for clicking either play or subscribe maybe to Soundtracking, which is what you're listening to. It's my weekly podcast where I talk about film, TV and music. And sometimes the start of that conversation could lead us into different directions, surprising directions. And one thing we like to do as well is kind of just look outside the box in terms of what there is around to be talking about. And I think that that could be said about today's. We're really inspired by projects that are a little bit different or that are trying to get art and culture out to a mass market or a market in a slightly different way. So we've got three guests for you today who are discussing an extraordinary journey which saw the acclaimed English National Ballet's production of Creature transformed into a film during lockdown. Choreographed by Akram Khan with music from Vincenzo Lamagna, Creature is inspired by Buchner's expressionist classic Wozzeck and has echoes of Frankenstein too. Now, our good friend Asif Kapadia has brought the original stage performance to our screens in, I've got to say, spectacular style, aided by Vincenzo and editor Sylvie Landra. And I'm so thrilled and excited that all three of them joined me to discuss their work on the project today. And we'll begin with Vincenzo's piece, Funny World, Beautiful World. so much for your time this is lovely look at this almost a full house you know unfortunately I can't can't be here but I think it's you know we can we've got so much to talk about with this beautiful wonderful collaboration with you on this extraordinary project that just lives with you kind of feel you almost feel like the performances in your head after you've watched it it's just it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic um I was trying to work out where to start to be honest and I guess Vincenzo i Probably the good starting point with you, to be honest, with, with regards to, because I think for a lot of people listening as well, having an understanding of creating a performance piece like this for the International Ballet and, and working um, with Akram on this, how where does that journey start and what are those conversations and, and what comes first 
is the music, is the performance. It is a constant, a constant kind of uh, relationship that's moving. It's a constant kind of relationship that moves. Yeah, um, especially with Akram. I mean, we've been we've been working together now for a few years, nearly I would say probably nearly ten years or something like that. And we've done a number of of, of pieces together before getting to the creature. So in a way, uh, it's it's hard for me to pinpoint where everything really starts because it's almost as if one work morphs into the other. You know, we're constantly in conversation um, about ideas. There, there was a moment where obviously we got you know we got commissioned by English National Ballet to work on this. And I don't know if you're aware, but just uh, a few years before, we did a, a piece for them called Giselle, which was basically a rework of the classical ballet. So when we started to think about what's, what's next, we were very clear that we didn't want to take a classical piece and rework it, but we wanted to go uh, with something new and original. But then we were starting to toy with the idea of, should we think about Frankenstein as a, as a, as a storyline? The entire team works like that. Barakram is very adamant always to have a clear narrative to who come to, so that then we can, we can go, <laughs> we, can, we can fly with the ideas. Mm -hmm. But as very often happens, we start with one line of, of narrative and very easily and very quickly becomes 25 different <laughs> ideas. Um, so the, the idea of Frankenstein kind of remained there, but it morphed into using a more of Wojciech, the yeah. play. And even if that became the bones of the, of the work in terms of using some of the characters and some of the storyline, for us, it became a bit of an excuse or a path. I, I call it a rope. It's a little bit like for me entering like a labyrinth. And the story for me works as, um, as, as a rope that I can rub to just not getting completely lost. But then many other ideas come, come into place. So things that are close to our hearts, of course. Uh, and in, in the case of Creature, we wanted to tackle the environmental uh, issues which was connected to the space race. At that time, there was a lot of talking about the Elon Musk and the Bezos going to space and yeah. um, this idea of colonizing somewhere else, you know, that, it, that it's far from us. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of political issues in there. There's the, the idea of the power play between the weak and the, in the society and the and, you know and the, the, the few that held, that held the power. So all of this concept trickled in. And usually we get together for a few weeks, sometimes in one block, sometimes spread out. And the core team, which is me, Akram, uh, dramaturg uh, Ruth Little, um, lighting designer, uh, Michael Hull, and Tim Yip for set design and costume, and Maven Koo, who's uh, Akram's right hand. This is the core uh, team of collaborators. We talk and talk and talk and explore ideas. And it's like, it's like a big white canvas where we put pictures and we watch films and we listen to music. We, we really input constantly ideas. And it's, it's a beautiful space where the roles get completely obliterated. So we are all constantly, uh, you know, blurring the lines and talking about everything. And this is, to be honest, it's credit to Akram. It is very open in that sense. You know, it's really inviting of everybody uh, mm. ideas. And then we go off and we start to play with our roles. You know, of course, me making the music. But then during the process, even when we get in zone, um, there is always this constant working together, you know. Yeah. And there are moments where we still 
blur the boundaries and give feedback to each other, which to me, you know, you you were talking about an experience that almost lives with you. And and to me, that's probably, if not the the only reason, but big part of the reason is because that's how the work is like the team becomes one body. So we're always constantly working together. Um, So I don't know if this gives you an idea um, or if it's too... Blah, blah, blah. No, it's wonderful. It's wonderful because, you know, see, if we've talked a few times in the past, you know, about about that that beautiful relationship that, that music has with Move and Image and how important it is to the storytelling. And this is a kind of, this is a step further because you can't have the movement, the performances in this. They're intrinsically connected to the music. You know, it's kind of like they're, it's poetry. It's kind of, you know, there's there's no... There's no stop and start point between the two of them almost. And that's it's so interesting to hear you kind of talk about, you know, that kind of journey and that that relationship and that collaboration as well. And the the, the music in this is extraordinary. And it's it's at times it's industrial, then there's these beautiful, really kind of uh just kind of simple moments where like the uh, when Marine the creature or the moment with the guitar, just the beautiful, simple guitar pieces, you know, there's there's a vast array of instrumentation and and uh, and kind of depth to the music as well i mean what was the the kind of discussions about kind of what the instrumentation would be because you've got sorry i've never interviewed someone with regards to writing music like this and it's so fascinating to get to understand what you're writing to are you writing to the story but you have to write so that you know that, that the choreography can be created or around it or with it I, I need to make an exercise in uh, formulating my thoughts because <laughs> for me, it's been so ingrained in my way of working now that I yeah. don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, it must have happened somehow that things became this way. But to me, it's really important when I when I enter this creative space, and, and it's actually very relevant to the way that the film was made because I feel that the way that Asif and Sylvia and the rest of the team basically got together with, with us, it felt the same. There was no separation. So in a way, it felt like a very organic process. We were constantly working together, but I don't enter the creative space as I'm the composer yeah. and I make the music and this is my role. And and because of the generosity of Akram and Asif, I almost step in as a co-director somehow. And of course, I'm I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's Akram's idea, but there is the possibility of sitting in this creative space, seeing everything from a wider angle. Mm-hmm. And as much as possible from, I try to see it from the outside and really not thinking about uh, the music or or the compositional side of it. And it's a tricky place because, of course, I have to deliver a score uh, and that's my role. But at the same time, I'm not there, there serving myself, the music, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there serving the work. And, and, and this is why, for me, it feels like we all become one body because we are all there with this big goal of serving something that is outside of us. Something, I don't want to say necessarily bigger, but definitely beyond us. Uh, and so even when it comes to the more technical moments of, okay, I now need to write, okay, everything in my mind is always connected to the movement, but also mm-hmm. to the lights, to the set, to the costumes, it's it is really one creation. So of course there are moments where I might bring an idea and that idea may spark a certain kind of choreography or vice versa. There are moments where in the studio they work in complete silence 
and then I respond. Wow. Because we also get involved for so long all together, I can't tell you where that yeah. starts and stops. It's literally just one movement all, all together. And I think for me, it's the music comes out like that because of this process, because it's informed by, by the dancers, by mm. Akram, by, by all these all these conversations that we have, but then what happens is that the conversation gets forgotten. Obviously, you know, all the idea we use our, our mind a lot, but then the mind needs to get out. And and mm-hmm. and then when when that's when for me the instinct, the the intuition kicks in. And that's what I, I lose it. I can't really give you a straightforward answer because it's one flow. And as I said, once Asif got in. I, I was very humbled. I, Asif, I don't know if I told you, but you know, for me, having someone like you coming into this space and feel so open and basically having the same approach, it was, yeah, humbling and very beautiful for me. I felt like there was no, nobody tried to defend anything. We were all like open arms bringing this together. So the film to me uh, basically was the same kind of experience, you know? Asif, how did you get in, how did the project come to you or did you arrive at, at, at this collaboration? It was such an unusual thing, Edith, that this film still feels like that everything was upside down and backwards <laughs> because we've made the film, the film's come out, you've seen the film, we've seen the film, but Sylvia and I are listening to Vincenzo going, oh, oh, that's how it was made. Because, <laughs> because of the film coming out of a, a problem, right? Sometimes art comes out of everything that goes wrong. And in this particular case, this film exists because of COVID. Um, the show had been created, was ready to go. And then because suddenly we had a lockdown and two lockdowns, they couldn't perform the show. So I get a call from a producer saying, look, Akram would, and the English National Ballet would like to make a film of some form of this show, which is, may never get performed. We don't know when it's going to be performed. Would you be interested? Akram and I had kind of known each other. We met first 20 years ago when I made The Warrior and we were on a panel together at the BFI South Bank at the National Theatre, Film Theatre. Over the years, I think he's tried to contact me and we just couldn't meet up or something would go wrong. And he likes to collaborate with filmmakers. He's he's done work with Danny Boyle. He's worked with Juliette Binoche. He's worked with other filmmakers. So I just went along to a rehearsal. I don't know anything. I'm not someone who's been to the ballet before I made this film. I hadn't seen Akram perform for my sins. I haven't been to a lot of contemporary dance. I've seen a bit. So I went along and just sat on the floor and watched and listened. And for me, very much so now, a film always comes out of my first impression of something. The first time I hear a story, I go, oh, I think I can do something with that. In this case, I just sat there and watched them working and listened. And when they ran it, I was really emotionally blown away. It was Mm -hmm. so powerful. I didn't necessarily understand everything the first time I saw it, but that was fine. It was just very visceral. I remember that feeling. And every now and again, I see something called read a story or hear a story and think, I want the audience to feel what I just felt. And that became the mission of the movie was to put that idea, how do you break everything up and put it back together to turn something into a movie, which is not going to be a classical representation of a live show, but actually what can we do to play with it, to make it a film where we have coverage and the cameras on the set in between the dancers, in bet- around the dancers. So it's something new. That became the idea. It was that very first moment of seeing it and seeing Akram and Vincenzo and everyone working without any real conversations about what it was about. The deal was this. I had um, five days of prep, 10 days to shoot it. As, uh, I think uh, 
Sylvia and I had about, yeah, 15 days to edit it. It was a really low budget film. So we made a feature film in two months and it was just make it and then talk about what the hell it's about (laughs) and how to get it out. So it really was. We just threw ourselves into, can we get a crew? And our, our cinematographer, Daniel Landon, had five days to work with the live show to adapt the lighting. And all of our team had to figure out how can we shoot this? And we had five day period to change the live show into a film show. Yeah. And then we were shooting the songs. That's what we learned. Okay. You can't break it into individual shots, but what we had to do was to shoot each song, which may be eight minutes long or 12 minutes long or 15 minutes long. And that would be each sequence. And we would work out how to shoot each of those doing coverage. And we essentially on Monday would start off on the wides, Tuesday, pick one song and go in and do coverage. Wednesday, the next song, Thursday, the next song, and Friday might be a few special shots. That was it. We were like, let's just figure out a way to shoot it, see who we can kind of beg, borrow and steal camera and crew wise, shoot a movie and then figure out what it might become in the end. And that's when kind of Sylvie also came in. So it was, it was crazy, but amazing and really, yeah. you know, I spent five years or three years or four years normally making the film. And this was literally, we made a feature film in two months. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's really, there's something really refreshing about being forced into situations like that, isn't there? In terms of, I've got one shot to do this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And we're going to, yeah. It's quite, it's quite and liberating. Just, yeah, it was it? really, it was really liberating. And it also was happening at a dark period in it for everyone, right? It was yeah. absolute lockdown. I would go to East London, kind of the Isle of Dogs, where the uh, English National Ballet have their new base. There was nobody on the tube. I'd be the only person on the tube. And I'd walk into this really amazing new building. You'd open a door and there were like human beings touching each other. It was the weirdest thing, right? And you're like, wow. So the whole world felt dystopian. And then the show was really quite edgy and dark. And I wasn't sure if it was watching a sci-fi ballet. I'm not quite, you know, when the characters come in from the sides and like yeah. they're aliens or they're from space or so a lot of the themes that Vincenzo just mentioned that Akram now talks about, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about the space race and Elon Musk or Donald Trump and how much of the personal he's put into the show and the power structures. I didn't know any of that. I only have heard all about that after we made the film and it's come out. We didn't have any, we didn't have lunch, we didn't have breakfast, we didn't have meetings and pre-production together. We were all in our little bubbles. Sylvie was in her bubble in Paris, which she can talk about. But Sylvie, then you're even kind of further afield from this in terms of, you know, kind of being in another country while this is happening, but being connected to it. And I mean, your work on this is extraordinary. And for you, I read what, you know, the thing for you was just this beautiful opportunity to bring these worlds together, you know, film, dance, art, you know, all that kind of thing for you. Talk to me a little bit about, how it was presented to you and, and why you wanted to be involved? Well, why is um, uh, mainly because I'm a huge fan of those two, the AK. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was brought to me by a, a Zoom like that, say, hey, we're doing that thing. Uh, are you ready to do it? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it was that simple. Uh, and 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 well, it's true that uh, I'm huge huge fan of Akram's work and and a huge fan of Asif. And I thought, well, you, you know what? If there is one one opportunity like that, I won't miss that one for sure. But then I was hoping. I mean, we we were planning for me to come to London at one point, 
which I was really happy about because I lived in London and love London a lot. So I was like, yeah, being in London, working with Akram and Nazif, and what can I ask more? Well, then I stayed in Paris. <laughs> and that's how, that's how I started that um, collaboration, which, I mean, I, I was in Paris, but it didn't you know, change anything because yeah. we were constantly talking. I actually started to cut the film before the film was shot, which was an interesting process as well. Because we we started <laughs> we started to put together very technical simple uh, lengths of the show with yeah. using the camera that the ENB use to uh, to do their uh, archives so to oh, wow. be able to so I, I I and some of the many shots that are as if I shot with his phone. <laughs> <laughs> to see how it goes. Can we put some close-up? What kind of close-up? But it was really simply just like, okay, that's the show, that's the camera. There are wide angles and nothing artistic to it. But it helps also to to uh, to send to the crew every day that they were taking care of one song. So this mm-hmm. is this song we're talking about because normally a crew has a, a, a script to work for with. And the script here was the live ballet. But yeah. then say to the crew, okay, we go from that woman to that movement. <laughs> it was kind of difficult. So we did it, we did this that way. So I already started to integrate wow. the dance and the film with, uh, with one version of it. <laughs> and, and then with, uh, as if, as long as I was editing, we were exchanging, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Uh, he was answering me. He, he was shooting, and we talk about. And we had some shots here, and and so the it was really fluid. It was really really easy. Um, the, the, and, and listening, you you write as if listening to Vincenzo, like oh yeah, okay, that's that's how they did it. <laughs> in a in a way, and really uh, even even more weirdly for me, I was as you as you said, I was far, but not feeling being far at all. Yeah. But in in the same time, um, you're generally when you when you when you cut, you first cut the narrative. But the narrative is here. Is the music because it, it's what you know the the dancer dance with. It's their dialogue, and actually, yeah. what was interesting uh, for me to experience is to stick with the music, not by putting the movement right on the same place, but just following it. Let the music drive the edit, and I think that's 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 something that was quite unusual because generally, once you finish the first cut. Then you start to look how it is, and then you put some music to enhance some. Uh, it's something that comes after. Here it was here from the beginning, and that's really what drives the edits because you have to you follow the, the the dancers, which by the way are amazing actors. Incredible, yeah. Oh my god, the performances, the characterization that you get from their performances, the the storytelling you get from their performances is extraordinary. It is amazing also because I think you know, when you go in the theatre, there is a big depth. But when you go in the cinema, it's flat. But how to put back that depth that you have when you're in the theatre in, in a way by giving the opportunity to an audience to be with the dancer, on the dancer, to dance basically with them. 
is it, I think it's something that brought the the depths that you get when you're in the theater and your your mind goes away with the side guy who is behind there and looking and then you, so, so the freedom you have when you're in the theater you actually got even better to be with the with the dancers. Asif, was it was what was the journey for you in terms of of kind of turning this performance into a feature film and thinking about the choices that you made to to enhance that or adapt it and and also things like sound design because the sound design's fantastic and it you know uh, it really kind of it's, it's a character in itself really in a way. What, what was the kind of um, you know was that really you, clearly you didn't have much time to think about it, but. <laughs> It was. It really did come out of being present at the at the rehearsals, Edith. And what's really interesting, and I think what played a big part in it, is because um, the English National Ballet had moved to this new building, which had a full sized rehearsal space. So the set, full size set, which is a copy of Sadler as well as the stage, existed there. Wow. We had the full costumes. We had the lighting rig. We didn't have the full kind of rain effects. There, there's a kind of thing where the kind of world starts to crumble at the end. We didn't have all of that. We had pretty much 90% of the show. But the really good thing for me and for the filmmaker team was there was no orchestra pit. So you could walk from one end of the stage straight onto the set, which meant that we could go anywhere and we could go around the side, around the back, on top, above, below, everything to get interesting angles. So as Akram was rehearsing, as I built up my confidence to say, is it okay if I walk over there? And I go, yeah, sure. What if I go around the back? Yeah, sure. And then as they were rehearsing, I would just start shooting on my phone getting angles because I was seeing something that I thought was really interesting. But I, the first step of making a movie is how do you sell the concept to somebody else? How do you sell it to the crew? How do you send it to you know the editor and the DP and everyone else that you're going to have to bring on board? But what is going to be a very low budget film? And we don't know how many days we're going to get out of it. And so that process of being able to walk on the set, look behind the dancers towards the black hole where mm-hmm. they would normally be an audience and think, well, visually, I think this is going to work. I think this is going to be great. Then we get into, you know, Akram and Vincenzo like their music loud, like seriously loud. So everyone can feel it in here. Mm, and that's right. what they're dancing to. So, you know, there was a tiny moment when people said, look, you've got 10 days for the dancers. Do you want to take it out on the street? Do you want to go outside into, you know, London's empty. We could shoot this all exterior. And I was like, no, I don't want to break it because I have so little time. Let's stick with what we have. Keep it simple, stupid. Break it into, you know, there's two acts. So the first five days, act one, second five days, act two. But we had to shoot it mute. We couldn't afford a sound recordist. Um, We couldn't afford to operate some of the cameras, actually. Some of the cameras were just set up and not operated. Yeah, that was just the nature of it. But what happened was in post, my brilliant sound design team that I've worked with many times, and particularly Stephen Griffiths, who's done all of the films and essentially did all the sound design on Senna and Amy. And Diego Maradona is a good reference. He put all of the footsteps, the ball, the breathing, the kicking, everything that you hear to bring you close to Diego Maradona. We applied the same idea here. So there was no sync sound, but what you hear in the cinema absolutely has been created entirely by Stephen and his team. Not even Jeffrey's kind of breath when he's done. No. Yeah. So it was a hell of a lot of work. But even then, you know, Stephen basically had to, because English, what, what's interesting about this is normally when you're making a movie, the film director's at the top of the triangle, right? At the top of the pyramid. And then you have the cast and then you have everyone else. In this case, we had Akram, who's like top of the tree. He's the choreographer. Then you have the English National Ballet, the dancers, and the film crew are kind of down here somewhere because we were following on from everyone else. 
So we had to kind of ask permission to get the dancers in order to create the sound. And I think at the beginning, you know, they just didn't understand why it would be important. But we were like, to make a movie, you've got to feel it. You've got to hear them breathing. And I think that was the only time when I showed a cut on my laptop to Akram because we couldn't screen it. There were no screening rooms and things, really. So we showed wow. a cut to Akram in my friend's kitchen in town. I remember him saying, as if the sound's all too loud. It's too loud. You know, I, I, it's taking you out of the show when you hear the breathing. His first impression was, you know, all of that's too present. And that was the one place where I felt confident saying, in the film space, I think that's going to really help us. It's going to be really important. The w- bigger worry was when we cut the music and we cut the dance. And, you know, the, the film is 20 minutes shorter than the live show. So that was the tricky bit, which I'm going to hand on to Sylvie. But, <laughs> but the sound design and all of that, we knew we had to do it to make you feel it. Or else the danger was it was a pop video and it wouldn't sustain. And we really wanted to get close and feel the, the, the dancers and because I saw the first rehearsals by sitting really at the feet of Akram and the dancers my first impression of this show was in close-up I didn't watch a live show from the back of the auditorium if I had I don't know if I would have wanted to make a film it was something about being able to walk right up to them being close and Akram on that day coincidentally shooting or rather rehearsing the close-up work between Marie and Creature um, Irina and Jeffrey who are the principal dancers who are amazing I saw that all in close-up. I was able to walk up to them. I was able to stand behind through the set and get really close. And I thought, this is the film. Really, really up close in a way you would never see in any way. Even if you're in a front row, you're not going to be this close as the camera can get to them. It's all intimate. Yeah, and, and kind of those moments well where he's where the, you know, where Jeffrey's kind of contorted and you're almost kind of, you, you feel like you're moving with him at times as well. It's like, it's extraordinary. How, how did you do it then, Sylvie? How were you able to decide what was what was going to get cut and that must have been really hard for you Vincenzo as well in terms of because I imagine you know this it's all part of the story so how do you decide what has to go first of all uh, before we decided to cut anything I remember calling Vincenzo and say okay well we might do some arrangement cut some stuff how do you want to work do you want me to and he said to me you know what? Do it. We'll see later. Uh, I think he regrets that sentence now, but who uh, <laughs> has regretted it? <laughs> Probably. But what was funny to hear, to, to listen to Vincenzo earlier, it, I think we did work the same. Basically, when you watch when when you watch a film, your attention is different, and therefore when you tell a story, you need to be concentrated on what you're telling. And I think that's what drives the cut that has been done because at one point, as beautiful a solo can be, if you're not engaged in it in a way that you really feel it, mm-hmm. you kind of lose your interest and it's and, and, and the tension of the movie starts to, to go low. And I think... Uh, that's how we decided uh, that you know some bits and pieces have to go, but also using using the grammar of the film, we invented some nightmare that, that is in actually the the play, uh, but but not visually. So yeah. we we invented it uh, flashbacks. We changed, which of course changed the flow of the music. And we had to. We I think we bo- uh, I think I, I say we, but I think I butchered the music at that point, <laughs> and and gave and gave it back to uh, 
to Vincenzo, say, why it's a, and also what you have to understand is what, when I work with the, with the, on the film, I worked with the soundtrack that was actually the soundtrack that they were playing in, in the theater. And everything is bigger than life. It's, it's louder. The sounds, the sound effects are louder. The music is all, you know, and it's not, not, it's, it's you, you feel it differently. So I had a huge, huge sound and, and the subtleties of the sound that Stephen has uh, created after, I didn't have that at all. All the breathing, the touching, the water. I think the clever, the clever idea to bring the sound of the water that there is no water in the bucket. All that, all of that is is something that brings the experience uh, higher than than on the, on the film. Was the Richard Nixon stuff in the originals? That that's part of the original. Yeah, that's well, so that pretty much started everything. Yeah. Wow! Really. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call. Uh, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Hello, Neil and Buzz. I just can't tell you how proud we all are of what you have done. Because of what you have done, the heavens have become a part of man's world. And as you talk to us from the Sea of Tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. Peace to Earth. Peace to Earth. Peace to Earth. Peace to Earth. I have a question, actually, from Vincenzo. When does Andy <laughs> Circus come into all this? Andy Circus came during the pandemic also. Uh, basically, when we, when we shut down, we, we closed down two weeks before premiere. And in hindsight, it was probably a gift that we received because... Uh, we took a break, obviously, and then I, I went back to, to watch the, the film and the, the film, sorry, the, the videos that we had of the rehearsals and uh, got on the phone with Akram. It's like, Akram, we need to talk. I think uh, there's a lot of work to do here, man. And he agreed. So we spent a lot of time digging into the PC. He felt that something was missing and we couldn't really point the finger at it. And you know, again, discussions, the, the mind starts to run. And one of the idea was to bring um, a voice that could uh, evolve what we did with the Nixon speech, because the Nixon speech was there. And mm -hmm. I did uh, re it, it sampled it in other parts of the show, but it wasn't it wasn't coming back so often. And also, I wanted to avoid the risk that it became about Nixon, because Nixon yeah. was one of the idea that we had, but it wasn't the main subject. So, you know, the conversation started to evolve and the idea was to create a, a voice that was a, basically the voices inside Creature's Head. Now, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil the interpretation of uh, the audience. So with this idea of the voice that wasn't really giving a clear narrative, it was more like bits of fragment of ideas. For me, the way I approach it is as a creature's head was like a massive radio antenna that was just picking up on both the past and the future and the present. So almost like random bits of information. There were a lot of other ideas that didn't make the even the final cut of the show of like using music from all over the world, from very different times and sampled again. Um, all of that uh, got taken out, but then Andy Serkis came in and he became, for me, 
basically almost the lead instrument because I had the possibility then of, we recorded so many things and then I sampled them and, and distorted them and sometimes just kept, I mean, and it's amazing. So I didn't need to distort too much. He was basically doing a lot of the work himself. <laughs> but he became this interesting character for me, which is not narrative, but at the same time, it leads you uh, almost as if it's like a one long shot, you know, with that the never stops basically throughout the, the, the whole piece. And then he became part of the score because at some point he became the rhythm of one track. You know, I removed the drums and it was his voice keeping the wow. tempo. Yeah. So that was Andy. Andy was sat next to me the very first rehearsal that I was at. No! So I, didn't, I didn't know that he was already in the show, you see. I didn't know he was in the soundtrack. We were just sat on the floor. He was there and I was there. We were watching it. And uh, and it's only later on I realised that was his voice. Man, that's so great. That's but a that's, great story. That's funny to hear that because it's very funny that the vo- the vo- Andy's voice it gave, gave us like a... A huge field of exper- experimentation. I mean, we put the 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 face of of the creator, and then uh, in a very very short time, you had had the 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 effects that just and it's very funny that that voice actually gave a big field to. That's probably where the film lands into the film, the dance, the art, or something in between that. Yeah, an wow. actor, a voice, dance, music, editing. And then you're right, it motivates a lot. There was really interesting also, Edith, there was one word that Akram used to use a lot during rehearsal where the, the character creature kind of has his kind of moments where he's affected and he would call it a glitch. The glitch was a kind of term that was used. It's in the music, it's in the dancing, it's in um, Andy Circus, the way he's treated. And then we added it in post on the film Actually, yeah. so you have the breakup of image and the glitch of like you know whenever something's going to be okay or be good something would happen to break it up was my reading of it anyway but it was really interesting how one word can then play a part across all of the different forms 
And then, you know, in sound design, how does the glitch get accentuated and added and what other kind of versions of glitches are there? I thought that was a really interesting thing. There's another little thing that Akram does, which again, Vincenzo can talk about maybe, because essentially 90% of the music, 95%, it's original, it's new. But Akram seems to have a thing, tell me about it, Vincenzo, but he always has one well-known piece of music in his shows. And in this, there is one. And then the version that was in the live show and what we did with the film was quite different. So I don't know if there's something interesting to talk about there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 that was great, what we did in the film. There is, before I answer this, actually, there is one thing to say that I'm realizing right now, that a lot of the work that we did before we even knew that this was going to happen as a film was trying to bring uh, film tricks. I'm going to use these words. Um, uh, you will excuse me for that. But film tricks into the piece. Like We wanted to create almost the... What do you call it? Like when there is a, yeah, there is, there is a trick and all of a sudden something that you think was something appeared to be something very different at the end. So the idea of the glitches, the idea that basically it's all in this fractured mind, but a lot of things are very dif difficult to make happen on stage because everything is constant. You can't cut or do an edit or reverse things. You could play with the sound a little bit. So for me, it was great that then we had the possibility of actually having a film a technique applied to, to, the, to the piece, because a lot of our original ideas came from those concepts. The idea of the, of the famous piece of music, well, there was something, again, in, in the initial conversations, we wanted to create this idea of this mind that was holding history somehow, like almost these radio waves that, you know, absorbing it and bringing it into his own reality. And basically the whole thing is created in his mind. So it's, it's almost as if there was a musical archaeology. And I did quite a lot of research, not just famous music, but literally um, I went to, to listen to music from Siberia, Russia, China, like all the, the, the Eastern side, uh, music from the Arctic and, and yeah, again, like up, up North, like really a, a wide research. Most of it didn't make the final cut, but something that remained uh, was fragment of uh, Ravello, uh, Bolero, Ravel's Bolero, which I don't remember why that particular piece remained. I think it might have been as simple as Akram and the dancers playing in the studio with the original uh, score, uh, and I wasn't there to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I have to admit that at the beginning it was really tricky because 
it, for me, it was hard to make it fit with the rest of the score because the rest of the score was really becoming his own monster. And only in a sudden we had this breakage and me and Akram had a bit of a fight against it, <laughs> about it for a while, which is good. I mean, this stuff is important, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, that's where the creative force comes from also. But what was happening, again, I go back to the idea of I'm serving the piece. So mm-hmm. I leave the students like, okay, do, do what you got to do. We'll see what, what, what this becomes. And it was obvious that it wouldn't have remained the classical piece. But when I went back to the studio a few days later, what was happening in terms of choreography and dramaturgy and, and every the emotional journey, it made so much sense that I embraced it and it became something else. So the, the original idea was to have this very common ground, something that everybody would go, Whoa, of course, I know what this is. Very tongue-in-cheek in a way, like very blatantly in your face. But over the space of 15 minutes, it turns into a beast completely on its own. And what I loved of what happened, in the, that was a big editing moment in, in the film, that it's very different from what's happening on stage. The transition between, we don't have act one and act two in the film, which I'm very grateful of because I'm, I'm not a fan of intervals. Um, <laughs> so the way that Asif transformed that scene was really beautiful, which obviously gave me ideas. And we were talking and I think it was even towards the end, we were in the mix. And at some point we were like, mm, let's mute, mute, mute. So just by closing some elements of the tracks, and then I reworked some other stuff, the track became something else. And that fed the show. Because when I went back to, to, the, to, the, to the show, I was like, Akram, we are doing this. So it turns oh, wow. The bolero even more. So I think there was four different iterations of the of the of the same score. And that's what I'm saying. For me, it's a fantastic journey. It's like this circle that doesn't really have a beginning or end. Everything is um influencing the rest. It's a bit like the film itself, you see. The experience yes. of making a film, I always think is a bit like the subject of the film and a character, whereas you know, creatures in a loop. Anyway, yeah. and the film is about someone kind of stuck and and the experience of making it, you know, we started with you started with Frankenstein and then Wojciech and then Akram brings a lot of personal experience into the choreography. Then there's a show. The show becomes a film. The film then has affected the show, which is back out again. And, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah, with the moment there with Valero, it was just such a long piece of music in, in the mix. Mm. And Stephen Griffiths, a sound designer, you know, we we're looking again. We just can't have it that loud for that long, all playing. And Stephen had a very clever idea of what if it cuts out and then slowly builds again so it breaks into different sections and pieces and it really was a kind of one of those friday afternoon on the Mm -hmm. last day of the mix kind of ideas and then suddenly it worked because you know in a movie you normally have dialogue you normally have other people are talking there's other stuff so the, the music sometimes is at the top and sometimes it's really down below sometimes you don't have music for a long time and you have the impact when it comes back in but here, it's music all the way through. There were a few sections of sound design, but we tightened up the film quite a lot, Sylvia and I. So other moments of sound design came in. But yeah, it was a re- really interesting challenge to have so much score without words or something else to cut to. Listen, I could chat to you all day about this, and I'm really conscious that I've held you on for much longer than than I had originally said I would. So thank you for your generosity this afternoon. What's wonderful is that 
is that it lives on as well. You know, it's, it's got a it's got a, a, a run at Sad as well. So I hope that it gets another opportunity to be played out live, the actual show. And the film is going to be available for people to watch. But look out for it appearing at special places in the future. I see if that's all I'll say to yes, not give absolutely. anything away yet. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working hard and getting it out as much as we can. And it's been great. And I have to I have to mention, you know, the English National Ballet took a massive gamble mm-hmm. to make a film. You know, so they took a massive gamble. So thanks to them and also to the BFI who did the release. And uh, it's going to be on BFI Player. It's also still being shown around the country in the UK. And now Sylvia and I are working on France. And we're basically doing the old indie way of one territory at a time. We're going to take right. the film do to it. it and get it out there. Yeah, thank for you. Sure. So wonderful to get to talk to you about this, this absolutely beautiful project. And and yeah, thank you so much for your time. Vincenzo, congratulations on the on the film and the show as well. Sylvie and Asif, thank you so much. Thank, thank you me. very much. From Vincenzo Lamagna score to Creature, that's Ape. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Vincenzo, Asif Kaparia and Sylvie Landra. My huge thanks to all three of them for taking the time to talk to me and everybody behind the scenes who facilitated this conversation. You can watch this incredible film right now on the BFI player and I've been lucky enough to have chatted to Asif a couple of times before in the past. So if you'd like to listen to him talking about Amy or Senna or Diego Maradona or Mindhunter, head to edithbowman.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on socials. We are at Soundtrack in UK and we also have a YouTube channel, which we'd really appreciate you subscribing to. Next up, now I have the feeling that festivals are in the air. I can smell the start of festival season. And so in a way to celebrate that, we have the directors behind the wonderful Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is an adaptation of this fantastic book that came out a couple of years ago, actually, um, by this brilliant writer called Lizzie Goodman. Anyway, we've got Will Lovelace and Dylan Southern, who are two of the directors behind the documentary, which kind of chronicles the whole early 2000s music scene with the likes of LCD Sound System, Interpol, The Strokes, and it is brilliant. So I'm very excited to not only celebrate the film, uh, go and check out Lizzie's book in the meantime before next week's episode as well. And then join me next week as I chat to Will and Dylan about Meet Me in the Bathroom. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>